0: like podcast we're back to you again with another week and this is deacon pat coming to you from western idaho and we have the crew together again this week we have ryan john and nick say hi guys
1: hi Hi. guys hello (laughs)
0: hey so we have a great topic that we wanted to share with you but before we get into our topic i wanted to just share with you listeners that we really have a tradition that we've started on these wednesday nights when we gather So my job is to set up the equipment in our studio here. How do you guys like our studio?
1: It's pretty professional, top notch. Yeah,
0: Uh, it's also called the dining room table. (laughs) But um, and I get some snacks together. Although these guys don't eat nearly enough, Um, get some (laughs) snacks together, and then the guys will take turns bringing something to add to our, I guess, bounty, we would call it. Mm-hmm. And um, so, John, you brought something tonight. What did you bring tonight?
2: Um, salsa. <laughs> yeah. But it's not just
0: salsa. It's no store-bought salsa. No, just some homemade stuff. It was. It's really, really good. Um, and then, Nick, mm-hmm. there's a story behind this. There must be. What did you yeah. bring tonight? <clears throat> so I brought
3: a, a bottle of 100% rye whiskey from Woodinville Whiskey um the the story is that this is uh the grain is grown on my uncle's farm, which was my grandpa's farm uh where my mom and all of her siblings were raised um, and then they also have the aging facility right there on the property as well so it's kind of a omelet family tradition from my mom's side so cool so is that that's a that's like a really great looking bottle is, yeah is that their business is that what they do or? no I, I'm my my grandpa was a farmer he moved from Toppenish Washington to Quincy Washington just to open up shop as a farmer and and uh grew probably every type of grain you can possibly grow in eastern Washington and along with a bunch of other stuff but um I I'm not 100% sure how my uncle got in contact <laughs> with these uh, with Woodinville Whiskey don't, don't. company and uh, but, but yeah they they wanted to be able to I uh, they, they wanted the Eastern Washington climate to see if they could utilize that in the aging process with the oak and see if what what that would contribute to the flavors of the whiskey and actually they were doing a cool thing at first <clears throat> with um controlling the the facilities, uh, so they would kind of try to speed up the aging process by going, like mimicking a summer and then mimicking a winter back and forth a couple times during a year. Um, turns out that it wasn't it, it made good whiskey, but not great whiskey. So yeah. they, 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 it sounds like they're doing away with that process and.
0: Uh, Sticking to the old time-tested methods, but yeah, I, it really has a distinct uh, flavor and taste. I, I'm an Irish whiskey guy, so mm-hmm. and that has a distinct flavor and taste. But but I really like this. There's uh, maybe it's the rye. I, I don't know. There's Probably a, yeah. There's there's kind of a dryness to it. Um, yeah, a lot of people describe the
3: rye as uh, contributing a spicy type of yeah. flavor to or or feeling to the whiskey compared to other whiskeys that might be a little more heavy and corn ingredients or, yeah. or other
0: grains but now my favorite iris whiskey as you guys know is patties mm-hmm. and uh, so we i'm looking at that over John's shoulder i see it on the table over there but so guys um we had a couple of uh thoughts about some things we wanted to talk about tonight and i think it was ryan's idea i'm not sure maybe it was nick's um but <laughs> <laughs> what what uh I I think, didn't we say um, the topic should be, why is it so important to be Catholic? I thought that would be a a good lead-in to what we were really talking about. So, um, obviously, I have some thoughts. doesn't mean that they're correct, but I have thoughts. Mm -hmm. But what do you guys think? Why is it important to be Catholic? Well, actually, I had to
3: kind of go down this road when I uh, got the job, my current job, um, I worked for a, a Protestant school and, and kind of had to talk with a spiritual director there about whether or not I would mesh with their philosophies and stuff and kind of had to uh, politely say that I disagree in some things. But uh, when it really comes down to it, it, was it's the sacraments for me. It's the, the intimacy that the sacraments provide with Jesus. And, and that,
0: that's something that continues to amaze me. So, were any of you guys Protestants at some point in your life, or no? I was. You were. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we don't have Mike here tonight. Mike's our token Protestant, Current <laughs> <laughs> Catholic. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. I, I really like sometimes getting some insight into a world because I, I, I I'm a cradle Catholic. I've always been Catholic. You guys, Ryan, you too. And yeah. Nick, mm. Nick, you too, mm-hmm. as well.
1: Cradle yep. Catholic.
0: So is is the idea of a sacrament kind of a foreign concept to a protestant does anybody know
2: or was it to you Mm -hmm. john well um so i was baptized in the lutheran church american lutheran um I, i can't remember i think 10 11 years of age something like that maybe a little bit older than that but uh when i was baptized um we did have the eucharist um so i remember getting to drink wine (laughs) but you know i was i was young enough unfortunately i don't don't remember a whole lot Mm -hmm. um obviously we'd have marriage too but i don't know if it would be considered like i i I don't think it would be the same level of, of sacramental type things as in the catholic church but you know we definitely had those those things
0: when, when I was in formation years ago for the diaconate, um, one of the instructors um, talked about really the, the breakaway of the Protestants and how that happened over the years. And he was saying that you'll find that the Protestant denominations that are the most similar to the Catholic faith are the ones that broke away first. Because mm-hmm. they they were con- they were closely connected, and then they broke away, and then as subsequent ones broke away off of that, they got further and further away uh, from that makes our a lot of beliefs. Sense. So that's why the Lutheran faith is actually very similar in many ways, not completely their Protestant faith, mm-hmm. but there there are a lot of similarities with that. So. Um, There's a lot of sacraments, and I think um, many of you guys know them, and I know everybody at this table knows the sacraments, but we have baptism, and we have confirmation, we have the Eucharist, we have reconciliation, which is confession, we have the last rites, we have um, the sacrament of marriage, and we have holy orders. So here's a trick question for you guys. What type of person can have every single sacrament? Do you guys know the order? Do you guys know the answer to that? The answer is very near. What? Did you know it? Deacon. Deacon's kid. Uh Yeah, because we can have the holy order and we can be married. Yeah. Yeah. Or a priest
1: who's a widower. Yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. Or a Byzantine priest. That's true.
0: And actually, there's some priests that are coming into the Catholic yeah. faith from oh, like yeah, the Anglican right, 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 yeah. right? Yeah. That can be married yeah. as well. So, mm-hmm. gosh, it wasn't a great uh, question. I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess deacons but, aren't as special no. as you thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you so,
0: you know, when, when priests get ordained, they get all this great stuff and they anoint their hands and they do different things. Do you know when a, when a deacon's ordained, do you know what they get for their gift?
2: a broom <laughs> a, <laughs> towel. a towel a towel. So they, a, a towel because you're the servant yeah, yeah yeah
0: so it's true you know in in uh pre-vatican two um i i love the uh the vestments of pre-vatican two um oh i'm gonna draw a maniple that's manipole. it thank you there's a there's what is that a, so there's a there's something called a maniple and we don't use it anymore but it was deacons wore this thing and it's a fancy, it's really a towel, but it's this <laughs> fancy thing that goes around your left arm and it kind mm-hmm. of buttons and it's got some little frills on it, whatever, but it okay. actually, it, it was the symbol of the servant. Oh, I so, gotcha. So my vestments that I have, I, I have maniples for them, but we don't use them uh-huh. in, in the Latin right, but they're, they're beautiful, hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's, what I was hoping to do is to, pick a couple of sacraments and have you guys maybe reflect on them a a little. And maybe the first one might be baptism. Um, Some of you guys that are dads that have kids, do you have any thoughts or remembrances of the baptism? And does anything come to mind um, from those thoughts or those memories? I just remember the
3: kind of overwhelming emotions of it all. I don't think I expected to to tear up at all. I I had been to baptisms before, not for my kids, but Mm. didn't really think it was going to feel or or be any different. But I think just putting it all in context and realizing everything the priest is saying, specifically about my son and then my daughter, uh, yeah, it really kind of hit me pretty hard and got overwhelmed with the the emotions of knowing that we're... Setting them up to be in a life with
0: Jesus. Yeah. Hey, you know what? You guys keep um, talking. I'm going to run to my bedroom really fast. I'm going to
2: get a book. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <geez. laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, Brian?
1: Um, well, we haven't baptized our kid yet. So. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'll really for that. Soon. But. <laughs> yeah. Any hmm.
2: remembrances of baptism for you?
1: Well, probably for me, um, I think the most powerful baptism experiences I've had were uh, going to Easter Vigil Mass and seeing, oh, yeah. um, seeing all these people who, who have made the made the choice. I guess it's right, a, yeah, to to be baptized and. Yeah, I guess that's a lot more powerful than, you know, seeing for for seeing me, some like
2: I said earlier, I I don't remember my own baptism very very well. Um but I do know like for my children's baptism, that's when this whole movement for me to come into the church happened. Cuz mm. I had to start going through the the baptism classes and, you know, so it started started perking up some questions for me at the time and and being a a a new dad and like okay how am i going to set my kids up what's important in life um you know my wife and her family were catholic and and seeing the impact that religion had on them and the importance of it so it made uh it made a a pretty big impact on me at the time but i wasn't aware of it
1: wow
0: so so i I made it back guys i I ran to my bedroom (laughs) because i wanted to get my uh the right book for baptism I was going to try to just go off memory but I know I'd mess it up so mm. anyway there's a powerful part um, of the baptism in the very beginning and we we right away we'll ask the parents you know what name do you give your children and what do you ask of God's church and they'll say baptism but then the, the, the deacon or the priest will look right at the parents and he will say you have asked to have your child baptized In doing so, you are accepting the responsibility of training them in the practice of the faith. It will be your duty to bring them up to keep God's commandments as Christ taught us by loving God and our neighbor. Do you clearly understand what you are undertaking? And I just think that's so powerful. Any thoughts about that, you guys? It's a big responsibility. Yeah. Do you think people understand what they're committing to vowing to not, not if it's their first
2: child not everyone <laughs> <laughs> well, i just started doing the uh, the baptism uh, intro to bap i can't remember the name of the, the deal but when uh, folks are first interested in in baptism so they come in and and i talk to them about baptism and um but that's one aspect that i really try to push really hard is what are you really asking for uh as a parent but more important than that, as a parent, you're asking these, these godparents to fulfill this particular role. And so this mm-hmm. is not something to take lightly for you know for your child. But mm-hmm. then think of what you're asking of this other, you know, other couple of people. And so later on down the line, if if the godparents are really taking their, their role seriously, don't be surprised. If they start poking, their nose and, you know, are you really, cause you're asking them, mm-hmm. I need you. I want you to make sure that our children are, are raised in the faith mm-hmm. and it, it's the God parents responsibility to do that too.
0: Right. Right. So yeah. yeah, there's, there's another section in the baptismal, rite, And this is after the baby's been baptized and, um, you, you light a candle you take a small candle and you light it off of the Easter candle, that is the Mm -hmm. light of Christ. And I I usually take that candle, then I'll hand it to the godparents. And at, at that point, this is what's said. Parents and godparents, this light is entrusted to you to be kept burning brightly. These children of yours have been enlightened by Christ. They are to walk always as children of the light. May they keep the flame of faith alive in their hearts. When the Lord comes, may they go out to meet him with all the saints in the heavenly kingdom. If you really think about the obligation, just what you were talking about, John, as godparents and parents, we've done this incredible thing for these children. We've baptized them in the faith. they become children of God. They've actually gained access to eternal life through this baptism. But they know nothing of the faith. They actually have been (laughs) baptized on our faith. And now they are entrusted to us to teach this faith in them, and just like what I just read to you, and also to keep this light of Christ burning brightly in their hearts. And do we understand what we're saying we're going to do? And what does that mean? How does that translate into how do we live our life as well?
3: I think that's one of the biggest things missing from, um, critics of infant baptism is they say, well, why they, they don't have a choice. You're just making, you're forcing them to do it. I was like, yeah, but if we're really operating in the fullness of this, right, then I'm going to continue to educate them throughout until they, uh, reach time for confirmation and do make that choice for themselves. And just like you said earlier, the, mm-hmm. um, reaffirming your baptismal vows every every easter every easter same deal. i wish i knew that growing up like that's yeah. something i didn't know until more recently in life and it's like man if i could have put those two dots together that would have made easter a little, a little more special more special yeah. i know
0: yeah. and um and you know it's historical too and you know even in the earliest of times whole families came over into the the into the christian faith and whole families were being asked to be baptized, not just the adults of the mm-hmm. family. It was the whole family would come in, yeah, or the, the same, whole
2: household, the whole household. <laughs> yeah, oh, that would man. be
0: fit, multiple extended families and servants and, servants and, and everybody, yeah. and of all ages. So when they say this is something that was made up, you know, later in life, you know, by the Catholics or whatever, that's not true. Mm. No, it's not
1: true. I think the individualistic tendencies of of making of waiting till that person makes the choice for themselves on an individual basis before they actually receive the grace I think that is the modern the modern invention yeah. mm-hmm. I think it is yeah and it, it equates
2: is. just like with you know it's our responsibility as parents in a society to educate our children mm-hmm. we wouldn't wait for them to you know reach the rate the age of reason yeah. not attending public school right. not, yeah. not knowing how to read or write and then say mm-hmm. okay now i'll participate or you no don't. i don't want to yeah you don't you know yes, you you're don't. robbing them of yeah. of uh you know all of this great wealth and history and and uh,
1: Yeah, anyway. Yeah, you don't wait till your child's old enough to understand Mm -hmm. your rational arguments for why they should learn how to read (laughs) and write or multiply until you actually make them learn it. You just say, no, this is good for you. I don't care. (laughs) You're going to school.
0: I, I remember one homily Father Flores had, and he was talking about the family, the Catholic family. And he was saying, I'll paraphrase it, but he was saying something like, where did we ever get to the state in life that parents have to justify their reasons to their kids? He said, when your kids ask you for something, it's okay to say no. And if the kids want to know why, you can say, because we are the Curtains family and we don't do that. You know, I thought that was great. And you know what? That's the way it was when I was growing up. You know, our parents... They wouldn't give us answers for things often. It's just it was no. And then so you turn around, you go out into the street and you start playing again. You know, hey, there is one sacrament, though, that we do wait uh, or at least one that we do wait until the age of reason for them to participate in. Do you know which sacrament that is? the source and summit of our life is the eucharist the eucharist why do you think we would wait until they're at the age of reason before we expose them to the eucharist any any idea guys would that be the same reason we don't normally welcome
3: non-catholics to participate yeah i i think yeah. so
0: I, you know i, I think uh, i think that is going down a logical line in the sense that it is the the Eucharist is the foundation of our faith it's mm-hmm. the source and summit of our life and we don't take that lightly right. and we want to make sure before someone actually receives because what, what do Catholics believe is that consecrated host who is that you guys Jesus Christ Jesus Christ so we want to make sure that a child understands mm-hmm. who that is before they're giving the opportunity to have that and that's the same thing we would do with with a
1: protestant
0: we want yeah. to make sure that they understand they're in line with what we believe this is yeah. before they have it as well
1: yeah and maybe another aspect of that is that when someone approaches to receive the eucharist they're um it's a sign that they accept everything the church teaches and asks us to believe and um so you know we wouldn't somebody who uh, who did not accept that we wouldn't invite them to participate in it because it would be kind of a a conflict or almost yeah, we would kind of expect a lie them to
0: right mm-hmm. and because then, what is the response yeah.
1: when we say the, the
0: body of Christ amen. Amen. amen and what does amen mean you guys true believe
1: I'd stake my life I'd on st- it I've, I've heard people say that yeah I'd
0: stake my life on it it's a it's a it's a fervent um, the most powerful right, yes right I guess right mm-hmm. So how about this one, you guys, because I I think a lot of people, even Catholics, sometimes that maybe that aren't taking advantage of all the sacraments the way that they could um, have some thoughts about this. What about confession, you guys, the sacrament of reconciliation? What is that all about?
2: What do you guys think that's about? I can equate it a little bit towards the, the anointing of the sick, if you will, you know, um, Bodies become corrupted over time, and you know. So the, the anointing of the sick is is to help um, help with that. Because
0: um, they're both healing sacraments, e- exactly. Right, right, mm-hmm. right,
2: exactly. That's that's what I was, was searching and for. Anoint- but, yeah. And the anointing
0: of the sick includes the the uh, the the act of reconciliation as well. Right, right, yeah. right.
2: Yeah, and so the um, yeah the reconciliation though is. Uh, you know, we're all going to fall. We're all going to, you know, Jesus fell carrying the cross. We're going to do the same sorts of things um, and, and uh, you know, have troubles in life and fall short. And that's where the, uh, you know, confession can come along to help us rectify that and, uh, you know, make amends for it and to heal ourselves and to start again and uh, from a, from a good place, not from a not from a position of, of weakness, but of power and strength.
0: So, you know, we could go down a whole line of theologically, what what is confession and what does that do? And I, I think a lot of us know that it was a sacrament that was initiated by Christ himself. He wanted some element with all the sacraments that there's There's a supernatural spiritual side to it, but there's also a humanistic tangible side to our sacraments. An example would be in baptism, we use water as the symbol of the cleansing and and, and the healing and life in itself. And I think in, in the sacrament of reconciliation or confession, it's often called, um, not only are, is there a spiritual aspect to it, but there's also that physical, tangible aspect that you not only have prepared yourself through an examination of your conscience and prepared what you were gonna say to the priest, and you know, that's a purifying act in itself, a humbling act, to really find your faults and, and, and really, uh, really accumulate those and get those ready, and then to have to say them out loud to another person, where not only are they hearing those sins, but you're hearing them with your own ears as well. And then, you know, they, they talk about, you know, sin really grows and thrives when it's in darkness and it's in, it's in secrets, but to bring it out into the open and to hear it with your own ears, knowing someone else is hearing it as well, takes all the power away from the devil. It's not a secret anymore, and it can't just rumble through your mind and do all these things to you. But also what I think is so important about the, the act of confession is what we hear from the priest who's sitting in the person of Christ and who is forgiving us, and we hear him say, that you are absolved of your sins. And I have a couple of priests that I go to and, and when they absolve me of my sins, they actually also touch me very gently on my head. And it's that tangible little feeling of a connection of the supernatural. And they say, you are absolved of your sins. And there's that light touch as well. And it's just purifying to to have that done. Okay, there's all of that, you guys. (laughs) Um, But for the average guy, why would you want to go to confession? What does it do to your life? And I don't mean theologically, but what does it really do to your life and how you carry yourself? Why would a guy want to go to confession, you
1: guys? I think I'd be interested to hear your your opinion as a psychiatric professional but i think (laughs) um for me like it just um psychologically it's a it's kind of a cathartic experience in a way like you can because i know i can have these things that i'm ashamed of that i've that i the ways that i've failed and maybe some of them are ongoing habits of mine that i repeatedly bring to confession But, um, so it might be, it's, it's easy for me to kind of get bogged down in that sometimes and kind of get, kind of feel hopeless. Like I'm never going to break this habit or I'm always going to be kind of enslaved to this temptation to do this certain thing. But when I go to confession, I can, I know that I'm, I'm forgiven of, of this, this, this instance of committing that action. And, um, and I can just leave it behind, and I can have a fresh start. For me, that's, that's a really powerful part of the sacrament.
0: Isn't that as the foundation of our Catholic faith in a lot of ways? That we know we're sinners, and that we fall, and that we can begin again. We can begin yeah. again. That's what, the, that's what reconciliation is all about. When we sin, we're disconnected from God. That's what sin does to us. And reconciliation reunites us. To that relationship with God, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, it's also uh, you know in um, what you had said about you know it's a, and it's an action that I've done, but also you know an action that I haven't done. You know right. things yeah. things that I'm falling short by Relation. inaction.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> you know, I, I Nick, I have to get him right. to shut up sometimes because he talks so much <laughs> over here. So um, often, I have a question I want to direct towards towards Nick. So one of the sacraments, um, well, let me back up a little bit. There's many people in our culture who marry other people. In the Catholic Church, we have the sacrament of matrimony. What is it about our Catholic faith that maybe is a little different in our understanding of marriage that maybe might not be shared in someone who's agnostic or from some other faith tradition?
3: Well, yeah, if they're not from a, uh, a religious background, then they're probably being legally married with a contract um, versus what we have in, in the sacrament of marriage, which is not just something I promise to my wife and something she promises to me, but something we promise to each other with God. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest difference there.
0: So and, and I, in
1: front of the whole church, too, yes. you know, I was going to say, so part.
0: Catholics cannot be married on the beach in Hawaii... <laughs> Right. Um can't be married in a beautiful park somewhere. Why why is it do you think that it's required that Catholics have to be married in the church?
1: I think because it's um it's an action that you you promise to each other before God. And in front of the entire community, with the entire community, as your witness, I guess. Yeah, it's a public, ex- it's a public, public expression a public and commitment. Action.
0: But, but it also goes really to the root, and I think some people have lost the sense that as Catholics, we're not individuals. We're part of a community. Mm-hmm. And that's why um, we are married Surrounded by our community our faith community. Yeah, not just friends from work and right and yeah And I, I think we get we lose the sense of that even the Catholics a lot of times I don't think understand that when they want to get married. Why, why can't we have our our <laughs> our Ceremony, you know in Hawaii or whatever it goes really against the whole sense of being surrounded by your community because not only is it are they a witness to the vow and the promise that you made they're your support and your structure. Yeah. They witnessed what you committed to and they are going to be there for you to help make this a perpetual and everlasting commitment and relationship.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a a very real way in which um when a man and woman um before a man and woman are married, they aren't in a way they aren't part of the community on their own terms. They're part of the community as a part of their families and when they come together in the sacrament of marriage they are big they're basically becoming an addition to the that community as a new family mm-hmm. it's becoming a part of the community so it's i guess important that the that the community is present when that new unit of that community is is being formed I for think, me
2: it was um The big takeaway for me was the, uh, you know, the concept of like the trinity of the family, you know, the representation of, of the, the unity of the man and the woman together with God, that love and that relationship is, uh, you know, a symbol and an example of the, the holy trinity. Um, and so, and then that, you know, what does that mean towards the, you know, mystical body of Christ, you know, which is the church. Right. which we're members of. And so we become, <clears throat> as, as man and wife, we become um, you know an icon of that in the world.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And the climax really is the vows and the promise to God. Yeah. You know, if it's a priest or deacon that's marrying the couple, they're not so much the celebrant as they call them the witness. Yeah. They're witnessing the marriage. It's really the covenant between the two and God together that's yeah. happening. Very beautiful, I think. Yeah. Can you guys believe it? Our 30 minutes is up already. Wow. <laughs> and we have how many more sacraments did we not get to? My goodness. All right, well, thanks week. you guys for listening out there. And we'll be looking forward to connecting with you again next week. I hope you have a beautiful week. that God blesses you with your relationships, your encounters in life. And that you'll always be held close to God's heart. Take care and God bless.